Hi, I'm Curtis Herbert. I'm Alice Zhao. And I'm Jelly, a.k.a. Daniel Farrelly. And this is Independence, a show where the three of us talk about our efforts to make a living mostly in the App Store nowadays. But, you know, could be a little bit on the web, too. Someday. Maybe. <laughs> Depends. Diversification. Yeah. So <laughs> we wanted to do something a little bit, I guess, special is the right word here, uh, for the one-year birthday episode of Independence. Yeah. I, I can't believe the two of you have put up with me for so long. Well, I guess, uh, I guess Alice, you've only had to put up with me for a little bit less time than yeah. Jelly. <laughs> Jelly, I think he's about ready to break at this point. Yeah, no, I've, I've already broken. <laughs> but I did, I did get you a birthday present. <gasps> really? Is it a messy desk? Because <laughs> I have a really messy desk. I was going to say gift the right way, but you know what? Eh, never mind. <laughs> so anyway, for this special birthday episode, uh, we wanted you, the dear listeners, to ask us some questions because uh, we always like answering that kind of stuff. And we got a lot of questions. So let's just jump right into it. First, uh, from Jim Spencer. Uh, he said, quote, I would love to hear you talk about the shifts you've seen in the app store over time. When I started, 100% of my revenue was from paid apps. Now I get 60% of my revenue for apps. For me, people just aren't buying apps like they used to. So the question I'm going to mostly take out of that is, you know, what kind of revenue shifts have we seen in our business uh, since we've been trying to make a living in the app store? Yeah, so I have not experimented with ads because Gus on the Go is targeted towards kids and I just don't feel comfortable putting ads in a kid's app. Um, but we have a paid app and a freemium app and we've definitely not been making quite as much from our paid apps and our foray into freemium didn't work as well as we thought. But yeah, I've definitely seen a shift and just people are not willing to pay or they're just moving to freemium and it possibly could have worked better for us um but i think the content was a little different for the one we experimented with but yeah i'm a little sad but I, I, we just have to go with the flow i think i mean i've seen a lot of change because my first app was paid up front mm -hmm. and then gift wrapped was originally free with ads and a one-time in-app purchase and obviously recently i shifted gift wrapped to the subscription model so Basically, where it's where I stand at the moment is that progressions, the app, the my first app, and the app that is still paid up front just doesn't get a lot of sales at all. Gift wrap gets a lot of initial downloads, and I see a relatively decent chunk of ad related income. For me, the change between doing um, one time in app purchases and a subscription model has basically just not changed anything. I'm seeing about the same amount of money. This is like maybe three, four weeks post that initial launch of that. But I think the difference between paid up front and in-app purchases or whatever is that you, you get a lot of initial downloads. People will download a free app. Whether or not they use it is a whole other thing. But then you still have the problem of like, will people pay money for stuff in that app? And the general answer there is it's difficult to make that happen. Ads are great, but I feel I feel really dirty. I I, I feel really dirty putting them in my <laughs> app, and like and they're I, not I've, even for kids. <laughs> and not, it's not even for kids. Um, in fact, I can't. I it's it's for like seventeen plus, and so therefore, yeah, I yeah, I, I I hate ads with a passion, but they do feel somewhat necessary at the moment. So wait, I want to back up there a second. You you said that you're making the same amount of revenue now with yep. subscription based. Pretty much. Now that sounds like a good thing because yeah, you aren't up to your renewal period so it sounds like the conversion to subscriptions very early data is not turning a lot of people away 
compared to the one-time purchase. Yeah, that seems to be roughly where I'm at. That's good. It probably means that there are more people getting the subscriptions at this point on average, like maybe a few more because the subscription price is a little lower than what the, like the total cost would have been yeah because you're trying to make it up over time yeah Yeah. uh so it's probably a few more people than normal but i I mean it's still very early days and oh sure no that's it's just interesting there's always that mantra out there of people hate subscriptions and so you would expect a very sharp drop off from a one-time purchase to a subscription move like you did so that's encouraging at least that it's worth experimenting with um so for me when slopes came out and that was my first real run at you know making an app to try and make money it came out about the freemium era and i came out as a paid up front app so at the time i definitely saw the struggle of people just don't pay up front for apps anymore they expect some kind of freemium experience subscription wise once i moved to that my revenue has just been going up like people seem to be okay paying for slopes which is great um, even on a subscription model, they're paying year after year and renewing and I'm getting more accounts every year. Like it's just going completely the right direction. That said, you know, I think Slopes is the kind of app that adds what it makes sense for. You know, I'm in a market where people spend a lot of money on their sports. So paying for an app subscription isn't that bad. Um, so I think it really depends on the market. You know, I know a lot of like uh, one of my clients has a sports news app um, and there are ads in that. And that's really the only way to reliably monetize that kind of app. So I think it really depends on the market you're in. Um, one concern yeah. I have going forward is, you know, right now I think all the online ads are kind of at a premium, especially Facebook, AdMob, stuff like that. And I'm wondering if there's going to be a slight crash there with GDPR going through and less targeted advertising being possible. And I'm wondering if that's going to cost revenue from ads uh, and then the cost to buy ads to go down because you can't target nearly as well as you used to be able to. Obviously, I have no idea, mm-hmm. but I, I am curious to watch that space just to see if we're going to see another shift in how you can earn revenue in apps if ads just aren't viable anymore. Um, I'm going to be really curious to see what people scramble for after that. So uh, our next question is from Ross Shanahan, and the question is, your mortal enemy is about to be exiled on a desert island forever, and you get to choose the only three stock apps that they have on their phone. <laughs> Which do you choose? Oh, this is a good dun, one. Dun, dun. This is where uh, it, this all, how good a torturer are you? <laughs> so I do have to say there's a strategy to my madness. They're on a desert okay. island. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind. There, you got to mm-hmm. pick the apps. I'm not picking apps based on like, oh, this app is terrible. Because, okay, no. You want to pick the ones that are literally useless to them and rub it in. So first you pick maps. They're stuck on an island. (laughs) They're not going anywhere. Not to mention they don't have any cell signal to even look and download the map tiles. You pick the App Store because Apple's not going to deliver to said deserted island. And you pick (laughs) stocks because then you can't check your Apple stock to see if it's going up or down. And you just never know. Fair, fair fair answer. Yep. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I don't think I have three and I don't even think I have stock apps because, for, well, okay, so first I have to find an enemy and I, I don't really have a mortal enemy. So I'll just pretend it's like Duolingo, right? Like the biggest mm-hmm, mm-hmm. language app out there. I'm just going to give them Google Translate. <laughs> wait, no, 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 no. Okay, wait. Jelly, <laughs> you have to delete that part. The question was stock apps. I know. I don't you even. You have to go with stock apps. I don't know, but I don't, like, I have nothing funny. Besides Compass. I think Compass would actually work. Yes, yeah, but then it all comes down to that, right? So I like mine better. Oh. So I, I'm going the opposite direction to, to Curtis and 
I guess, the opposite direction to Alice as well because both <laughs> of you are like, okay, well, internet. But I'm going to go for apps that aren't even that useful even if they do have the internet. So let's say that for some reason they have a satellite iPhone. I don't know. That could be a thing. I'm going to go with Tips because Tips <laughs> is the most useless app. I'm also going to go with Wallet because that's not particularly useful either. <laughs> that's true. Uh, especially if you don't have anybody else around. Just send Apple Pay to yourself all day, sadly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm also going to go with find friends because because you can see where your friends are and they're definitely not on the island with you and if you don't have the internet you can't even see that so that i feel is the three most devious app to uh, provide them with (laughs) you know to be fair mine wasn't a like an internet connection joke it was just that google translate is the worst thing ever for language that's all (laughs) fair fair enough (laughs) all right well we'll move on to uh you know not so Light question. <laughs> Alexander Markle asked, what's your approach to app store optimization? How do you select search keywords, update screenshots, and copy and measure the impact of your changes? I do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite specific. I try to make sure that that I cover general bases. Like I, I don't do a lot of specific optimization for search and stuff like that mostly because app store search is terrible and good luck with all of that and look i don't really measure the impact of any of this stuff i look at this the the stuff very rarely as far as like what's happening and as will be talked about on an episode that hasn't been released yet most of the kind of traffic that i get is from word of mouth so i just try to make sure that at least you know if you search for stuff that would be mostly related to my app, you're going to find it. So I, this is actually something I'm stressing out over and want to address uh, for next season. So I, I did a pretty good pass at at least screenshots and all that kind of stuff going into this season, uh, which I think helped. And I did an initial cut of keywords, got like two or three years ago, based on I did some research on Google AdWords and figured out you know where the traffic was, what the high price words were, all that kind of stuff. And those have worked pretty well for me. I am realizing more and more... App Store search is about 25% of my downloads, and then browse is about 70%. Like, I feel like I really need to do a lot of work on my first couple screenshots, um, and this is the thing I'm stressing over, wanting to rework a lot of those. Uh, the problem I have, though, to the question of, you know, how do you measure this? For me, I'm in a very tricky spot because my season is a bell curve starting in December, ending in April. And if I make changes in December to my screenshots, the download number was going to go up anyway. It's really hard for me to measure like yeah. where the impact is because there's a very condensed swing. It's not like, a, you know, normally, you know, if you're doing a weight tracking app, you might get a lot of downloads in January and then the rest of the year constant ish. So it's easy to track. But for me, it's like the downloads are skyrocketing up until you know mid-February and then they start to go down. Mm. So I, I have a much shorter window to measure things and that window itself has kind of a predictable move to it. So I don't know. I struggle finding a way to measure that, which is another reason I'm scared to do these things because they're it's tricky to get right and I have a very hard time measuring if I got it right. So far, I haven't gotten it completely wrong. So that's, that's kind of my metrics for success there. Yeah, so I, I think Curtis is the most methodical of the three of us oh absolutely yeah um i mean we definitely did a lot of um keyword tools um to check out but 
I, I don't think we've experimented that much. I think we did make one major change once and we thought maybe we saw an increase, but then we also didn't check the impact for long term. So I feel like I don't have a good answer for this one. <laughs> it, it's something I really want to get serious with next year. Like I'm right now flipping yeah. through iTunes Connect as mm-hmm. we're recording and like just looking at like for App Store browse, my impressions versus my product page views. So, you know, when they see your icon in your first couple screenshots versus actually tap through to learn more about your app. Now they could just tap the get button and just play with it. But I'm seeing like orders of magnitude difference there. So I want to figure out like, hey, do I have to drive more and more people to my product page? Am I losing people with those first couple screenshots? Stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, it's something I'd like to get a better handle on, but I feel like I'm at least at an okay-ish starting point. Yeah, I, I think I could probably do with getting a better handle on that. I have zero experience and understanding of what's going on. So I tend to focus elsewhere as a general rule. I'm not in a position right now where I can kind of spend, you know, a lot of time kind of learning the intricacies of like how to optimize my search results. So I kind of go with my gut and just kind of focus on things that I, you know, I can make better at this point. Well, that's where I kind of worry because that, that's been kind of my attitude. Like, you know, my screenshots have been good enough for quite some time, but kind of playing around with iTunes Connect, I realized just how many people were finding me via search or browse And I am in a similar position to you where word of mouth is a big driver for me. But how many downloads am I leaving on the table that I could claim pretty easily if I spend some time on this stuff? Um, And that's something, you know, I'm, I'm worried about there is like it is easy for me to focus on like word of mouth, make things shareable, make that kind of process easy. But at the same time, there's so much natural traffic coming my way that. If yeah. I can up that by a 10% conversion yeah. rate or something, like that's that huge. Uh, see, as far as I'm concerned, like I'm seeing a lot of that traffic. So uh, like that kind of natural traffic. But my focus is more on like how do I keep them and how do I, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, how do I turn that into yeah. money? Well, yeah, you have to focus on both parts of the business, certainly. I just worry about yeah, yeah, having right. a blind spot to like, oh, they're good enough. When as much as I'm focused on getting rid of churn, I could also be focused on an easy win. Uh, you know, if I spend yeah. two days on this thing or three days on this thing and do a better job this time around, like that could have a massive impact on my downloads. And then I can still focus on churn. Yeah, I, I, I'm just at a point, where I think, where my focus is currently on churn and conversion. And, mm. you know, I've got I've got so many things up in the air. There are things that you just kind of have to leave on the table. Yep. Yeah, this tends to yep. be it after you've launched. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's the thing I'm trying to fight is that natural urge for like, oh, it's mm-hmm. good enough. Because yeah, that's exactly the boat I'm in. I barely touch them besides updating screenshots because they looked out of date. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't really done a really solid pass, I think, for a while. So, yeah. And I'll be in this boat very soon when we launch the new app. We're going to have to drive more traffic to this singular app that isn't specific to a language. It has all of them. So mm. this is going to be... Something we'll have to, we're going to have to face the music on this one ASAP. <laughs> so the next question to come our way was from Ben McCarthy. Who is the best at juggling? I mean, literally juggling things in the air, but I guess also juggling multiple projects could be a good question too. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Real juggling, I'm terrible. So I will not claim that title. And I think I always thought I was really good at multitasking. I realize I just multitask. I'm just not necessarily really good at it. So I'm, I'm also not <laughs> going to claim that title. I'm good at picking up something and letting everything drop and then <laughs> throw that yeah. back in the air and then pick up the next thing. So Yeah. I, for a long time, uh, when I first moved to Canberra, I had a friend who was part of a circus troupe 
and for a long time they tried to get me into their circus troupe because apparently, according to them, I was really good at juggling. Whoa. I don't know anything about juggling. I have never juggled. I could probably get one ball in the air. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And that's more or less how I am with projects as well. I have pretty much one thing going at any point in time. And in order to do work on something else, I kind of have to put the other one away. So, you know, I, I mean, I have a few apps that I work on, uh, GIF wrapped progressions, etc. When I'm working on progressions, I'm not working on GIF wrapped. And when I'm working on GIF wrapped, I'm not working on progressions because they're completely separate things. And I can't, I can't kind of process the two of them at the same time, really. So I'm with Alice on this one. I cannot juggle for anything. <laughs> the, the balls will usually hit me in the head, even if there's just one of them. Um, in terms of multitasking, <laughs> I'm pretty good, I think at least within the project scope of doing multiple things, you know, spending an hour doing customer support and then some marketing and then hopping back to code. Code wise, I am very much single process, very much like I'm working on this feature. Worst case, like an emergency hotfix branch or something like that. But like I have one coal in the fire feature wise at a time and I work until I finish that and then move to the next one. So yeah, with that's kind of, I guess, where I am. So Pat Murray asks the next question. And says, do you have a feature or features that you keep playing with but are never able to implement at a satisfactory level? If so, how do you know when to give up and come back later or ship it as is? See, I really liked this question because Alice kind of kicked my butt earlier this year on getting a feature (laughs) out the door. So I had this pie in the sky idea of a feature where, you know, slopes would you'd get to a resort and... It would know if you had gotten on a lift and remind you like, hey, you forgot to start slopes. A nice reminder thing. But there were so many edge cases in this. And I think we talked about this in a past episode. But there were so many edge cases to get it right and get it to work like magic that I sat on this feature for like two to three years because I knew it was just a glutton for things are not going to work right and users are going to get pissed at me. And then eventually Alice was like, well, wait, why can't you just ship essentially the user sets up reminders, geofenced or time-based and just keep it simple like that. Let them set up. Don't do magic. Just ship it. And it's useful today. And yeah, so I shipped that feature. And I, I, I think that maybe is my insight there is that it, it sometimes there's what you think of implementation to a satisfactory level is based on the scope that you've taken on yourself. And sometimes that scope is actually what should be questioned, uh, because sometimes there are easier ways mm-hmm. to go about something that's still immediately useful to the customer and you can get it in their hands faster and then maybe sit on it, see how people use it and improve upon it if needed. So. One of the biggest things I w- desperately wanted to add to the second version of Gus on the Go, which was story-based, I really wanted to add a recording feature because anytime you can get the child to actively speak something, there's a totally different process to speak it than to just hear the word. And so it would have been a huge asset to have this feature and even to get the kids to spend more time in it extending their usage time but you know we weren't we just weren't making money off stories and so how much would we have benefited out of it if had we put it together i still would like it i think i will carry this into this third incarnation i'll call it gus plus master gus i don't know we have a lot of nicknames (laughs) one gus to rule them all Um, but yeah so this one was more a uh, matter of 
it's just not worth the time for this app. One gust, two gust, three gust, go. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Red gust, blue gust. <laughs> I was going to go with, with gust three, the search for Spock, but, you know. <laughs> that too. We'll um, take them all. <laughs> I hate that movie. Five minutes in. Spoilers. He's right there. Look, you already showed us where he is. Movie over. <laughs> oh, the odd numbered Star Treks. I have a bunch of different feature ideas going at any particular point in time. I keep track of them. It, we've mentioned this before. I keep track of everything. Features can be at any point between like I've just had the general idea for it to I've you know I've actually started implementing it and writing code for it. But between those two spots is like a I know how I'm going to implement it and I've kind of got a like a rough sketch of things of how that's like things are going and I've got like notes and stuff of how that's going to be implemented. At a, as a general rule, I'm generally focused on like getting one thing out the door at a time as has been kind of mentioned um but i I do tend to wait until i have a good understanding of how a feature needs to work in before i start to implement it and before i start to work on it and that can kind of come from like for a long time progressions i'm going to talk about my other app for a long time progressions uh which is a music a music charts app for like for people who play instruments has had the idea of like, you know, you have a list of things that you're going to play in at a gig and you just flip through it. But it kind of makes sense that if a bunch of people are playing together and they all have progressions that they all flip through stuff together. Like it just, you mm. know, they all see the same song and the same chords and it all makes sense. For a long time, I haven't had the idea of like, how am I going to make that work? Because there's a lot of different kind of ways to do that and they don't necessarily all work right. But as time has gone on, I've figured out how that's going, like how the, to implement that. And I'm getting closer and closer and closer to that. But if I had jumped in initially and started working on that in the very early days, I might have done the wrong thing. So I'm trying to like explore the different avenues before I start to write something that is actually like, okay, this is it. This is done. Because the problem is as soon as I write something, I'm not going to want to get rid of it. I'm going to have to like fight myself on that if (laughs) if it's the wrong uh, implementation. So as a general rule, I don't necessarily have any particular things that I'm not like uh, that I'm ready to ship. I'm just I'm still figuring stuff out along the way and I try to stop myself from implementing things before I have a sol- solid idea mm. of how that needs to work mm. to before I continue on. So our next question's from Jason Madison and this is kind of related. Uh, have you ever faced doubt about your app? Ooh, it's time to talk about the feels. <laughs> Don't make me um, like that. Maybe it wasn't a good enough idea or not enough people would use it or doubt you wouldn't be able to create something that was better than the competitor's offerings. And if so, how did you overcome this? Uh, I make a GIF app. <laughs> I make an I make an app that is like so throwaway that it's uh, it's almost the sort of thing that nobody would ever touch with a 10 foot pole. And yet here I am. <laughs> Yes, I have faced doubts about my app and I've definitely faced doubts about doing things like monetizing it. I think the at the end of the day, when I have an idea that I feel is really useful, it doesn't matter how dumb the idea is. It's like it's useful for me and I think it's like I, I'll try it out with a few people and see if it's useful for them. And then somehow I you know, four and a half years later I have a relatively successful GIF app. I, I try a lot of things. I try a lot of things and not all of them work and not all of them feel right and stuff like that I'll just toss aside. I try not to be t- tied to anything. 
I mean, my previous answer is like, I don't like to do anything until I'm tied to it. Now I'd saying that I don't like to be tied to things. So basically I, you know, I'll try stuff until I feel it works. And if it doesn't work, I'm not going to, I'm not going to toss it out there. So I, as a general rule, even though I have doubts about the thing that I'm creating, generally I'll feel like it works. And so I'll, you know, I'm, I'm happy to ship something that I feel, you know, is useful for me because I, you know, I enjoy using it and I'm happy to create something that I enjoy using. So like I said earlier, when uh, Slopes launched, uh, it was paid up front and didn't see that many downloads. So yeah, that definitely led to a lot of doubt there. You know, I, I did, I think one of the ways I tempered some of that self-doubt was I went into it with very realistic expectations back then. Um, so I was happy the first season paid for my ski season. So it's, I think sometimes some expectations there and a healthy understanding of the market can help because then you can see, you know, it's finding the ways that you might be holding yourself back and at the same time being forgiving and realizing it's going to take you a little bit to figure all this out. You know, Slopes didn't really have the keys to success until I completely changed business models. And that took me some time as an app developer to really figure out. And to sometimes, you know, question what everybody else was saying. Everybody else was saying subscriptions will not work. And here I am a couple of years later. I think it really comes down to expectations and being a little bit okay with that failure and treating it more as a learning experience. And this is a big experiment for you to figure things out and you'll eventually get there type of thing. But unfortunately, part of that experimenting might be your app is not viable. That can be a very real thing, but that's just one app on your journey to being independent. You have to find the app, the market, everything that works there. And I, I think that's how I've overcome quite a bit of the self-doubt there is, you know, treating this more like an experiment and learning and treating it almost like I'm approaching, you know, education or something like that. I think I'm very similar to you too, where I didn't really doubt going into creating Gus on the Go. Actually, one of my friends, <laughs> he's deep into like the Silicon Valley world. He's always like, it doesn't matter if there's an app like that that exists, just make one better. And so, mm -hmm. like, okay, I'll create one. I don't think I worried as much that the app w wasn't as good as the competitor. I think I always worried about like, why aren't we making more money? And it's, and I knew it wasn't because it wasn't a good app. It's just we keep having to figure out what our monetization is going to be mm -hmm. and when can it finally work out, right? So I think that's the biggest doubt I feel. I think like because we're so, so many years in, we have a good handle on that we can create something good. We just why are we still in this kids market? I'm not sure because <laughs> it seems to be <laughs> the most difficult market of all, but we love it. It's and it's really relevant to our lives and so we're going to Here we are. <laughs> so the next question comes from Andy Graham and they ask, "What is the greatest food on earth?" that you would have no qualms about consuming only that for the rest of your life. This shouldn't be a tough one for me, <laughs> given that my husband and I were formerly food bloggers. Um, that's all we ever thought about for a really long time and still think about all the time. But it's difficult because I really can't eat just one thing for, uh, for the rest <laughs> of my life. Yeah. I think I could eat ramen for the rest of my life. Tonkotsu ramen. The good ramen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pork, pork bone broth soup. Yep, that's the one. Uh, I am the same. I cannot, for the life of me, eat the one thing constantly, forever. I, I just couldn't. I don't think I could do it. I think I would die before I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> Now I'm I'm feeling gross thinking about eating tonkotsu ramen every day. Like I'm just thinking like I I personally buy like 
one of almost every kind of cereal, breakfast cereal that is available that I will eat, that I will eat, you know, because I can't eat the same breakfast cereal every day for a long stretch of time. Like I, I couldn't even last a week eating the same stuff. I would get, I'll get sick of it. If I had to do it, I think I would choose something, something like pizza, pizza with chilies and garlic and bacon and, <laughs> and other things that I really, really like. All of the foods that I like on a pizza. Sounds good. So I have two answers here. The The first most realistic one, sushi, hands down, no problem. I, I could just eat that stuff all the time. Now, is this a fantasy world in which we don't have to worry about calories? Because if that was the case, <laughs> I would go with cheesesteaks with fried onions and ketchup. Oh, my God. <laughs> I could eat those all the time. And spoilers, that's why I got really fat when I was young. Uh, it's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When your metabolism, yeah, it's not good. But yeah, cheesesteaks, if not sushi. So the next question comes from uh, Matt Delves. And he asks, what's the one app you want to build regardless of the cost but haven't had the chance to yet? I don't think I have one dream app that I've tabled. I've had a lot of things I've wanted to dabble in. You know, if I didn't have to worry about money and therefore that meant I could make sure the app never disappeared, that's a big thing for me, then something like, you know, bringing Vine back would be great. You know, just a simple video share thing. Because uh, right now, I guess that's all Snapchat stories and Instagram stories, but those aren't really publicly followable. And there were so many good Vine gems. So I, I, I think... You know, something like that would be what I might do. But that, again, that's not like a dream app. That's just kind of one of those like, oh, it's a shame that software died. I'd bring it back. So Jano and I have been like toying with different ideas on what we would build if we didn't have to build for this cursed market of <laughs> kids. Um, and we played around with this idea last last fall where we're where, where I like to call it not hot dog. <laughs> where, we, <laughs> where we could just you know um, be able to see what an app is, or what an object is with uh, and then or recognize it the shazam of any object really and then see the see the vocabulary word in any language that you're looking for and then we uh, we had built like this little mini game where you just like all, that that object um the emoji pops up and then it's like everywhere and so you like pop bubbles you're trying to like capture those bubbles and hmm. so we so we've just been joking about finally being able to build an app for adults and a we could use ads now <laughs> and not feel that terrible about it um you'll still feel terrible yeah i mean probably most likely <laughs> uh, but we could <laughs> yes and i just think it would be interesting to build something purely for ourselves now i just don't know what yet <laughs> for the longest time i've had the idea for a game um that i want to Ooh. i want to build and the problem is that games take a lot of work yeah. like Years. a lot of work like a lot of lot of work so uh, it's mostly just been like a a thing that's kind of sat on the on my shelf waiting for me to you know get any time to really spend on it the general idea is based on uh, on some on sketches that I used to do as a kid of what what I'm basic what is are basically fruit machines um, that involved like conveyor belts and fruit and kind of like you draw these kind of ridiculous you know scribbles of like this maze of uh, uh, fruit going through like you know different machines and um, you know getting washed and getting put into boxes and stuff like that and that's the general idea for the game but I just I, I've never really kind of gone to the length of ex exploring it. Because, uh, yeah, time, man, time. <laughs> See, I, I know I would love to build a game, but I know 
what goes into designing great game mechanics and systems. Like these are the kind of YouTube videos I watch, you know, why is Mega Man X an amazing Mega Man (laughs) because of its first level design and how it teaches you things without tutorials. I know I probably would not have the skills to make a good game. So like, even if you threw all the money at me, I'm not going to do a good job, but I would love to build a game. That would be really cool. Our last question comes from Russ Shanahan. Were there aspects you were nervous about discussing in the beginning of talking openly ab- about your businesses on a podcast? And how have your feelings changed over time? No, <laughs> mostly no. I started podcasting a long time ago. And so it would have been 2012, maybe 2011. And my initial podcasts weren't about my business, obviously. The And then moving into like um, doing podcasts like Mobile Couch, where it was kind of about the stuff that I was doing. I've had a relatively gradual like lead into talking about my business, you know, openly. That said, I am not super open. I've There are definitely people out there that are more open about talking about their business. I, I mean, Curtis, you're, you're definitely one of those people. Uh, I, I don't generally talk about like how much money I make. I always kind of frame that stuff in like very generic terms, mostly because uh, I'm ashamed of how much money I make, <laughs> you know, about how how little much money I make, but also just because I'm not in a position where I have, I feel like I have anything to say about that. Mm. I'm not doing anything magic. I'm just doing things. And it's more interesting for me to talk about the things that I'm doing uh, that I feel like I'm doing relatively right rather than talk about the things that I'm not really super confident about i guess so yeah as you said i'm tend to be pretty open and that's just of the mindset like we need more data like this out there so people getting into this can see like oh look here's curtis he has slopes and it's making him money oh look his first season here in like 1300 hours or something like that like it's good for people to set realistic expectations getting into this kind of business i don't think much has changed over time and a a lot of the sharing too came before even the podcast uh you know i still share a lot of my data on my blog you know i don't talk revenue numbers here but i have you know charts on my blog with revenue numbers but that is one specific area i start to get worried about because at this point you know i said i'm you know full-time myself on it i'm thinking about bringing someone on later and I feel like once you hit that quote unquote success level, that you're just being a dick at that point, bragging about your numbers. <laughs> like, oh, look at me. I made lots of money. And that's not what I'm going uh-huh. for. But at the same time, I feel like if I don't keep sharing, I'm breaking a promise I made to people of like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to keep letting you see my revenue and how I'm building this business. Um, so that's something I'm trying to just fight myself from being scared about and hoping people keep realizing I'm doing it in good spirits and I'm not the kind of person to brag about money. So yeah, that's, I guess, one kind of caution area I have on my radar, but nothing has changed yet. But it's definitely kind of, I guess, a change of something I'm being more aware of the awkwardness aspect. So your, your sharing and your blogs is what actually got Jan and I started on, well, he, he started writing a blog sharing yeah. the same thing. Yeah, numbers. I remember that. So he was yeah. inspired by you. Oh yeah, it's going viral. <laughs> and, and to your point about, you know, sharing like higher numbers, I've seen plenty other indies that post their big numbers and I think it's totally fine. I think in general, your, the way you write and the way you share is very genuine. So I don't think anyone would necessarily be offended by your large numbers, except maybe me. <laughs> what, I, what I was most nervous about wasn't necessarily talking about um, the aspects of our business. It's how many times I was going to put my foot in my mouth. 
and say the wrong thing and use the wrong phrase. I always laugh at when other people use the wrong like catchphrase, right? And I and I find that I do that all the time, especially on the podcasts. So, but yeah, in general, I don't mind sharing about Gus on the Go. I think it helps others feel like we're all part of the same struggle and it's okay that Curtis makes more money than all of us. <laughs> I think Curtis makes more money than the both of us put together yeah, at this point. For sure. And at one point when we when I first met you, you're like, I'm trying to make as much money as you, Alice. And I'm like, oh no, it's the other way around. <laughs> oh the app. But that's a good thing. Yeah. I, I don't know about the two of you, but I, I probably project more of a level of uh, of success than I actually uh, I actually have obtained but i don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing because i am obviously like i i'm succeeding in various you know certain areas and that's the stuff that i perfect i'm perfectly happy to talk about and as a general rule that's the sort of stuff that i think we've like we've kind of tried to approach on the show like if we don't have experience with stuff like this yeah, we don't make it then up <laughs> we're not gonna like we don't have anything to say and there's nothing use like there's nothing really particularly useful for us to say about that so why why even try to discuss it until we have uh we've experienced it mm-hmm. and i i mean that's part of what's made the show the show in my mind is that we're not like special cases oh um, my mom calls me a special case all the time <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Curtis. Oh, Curtis. (laughs) We're we're not like, we we haven't got any sort of magical recipe to success that we've been following and we're just not sharing it. Like, we're all kind of achieving success in our own particular ways. Some of us more than others. (coughs) Curtis. (laughs) As a general rule, like, we're just, you know, we're just trying to find uh, the things that work for our, like our products, our, you know, our approaches and stuff like that and then trying to share that stuff and that's kind of where i'm perfectly happy to talk about that so yeah i figure you guys are as well otherwise you wouldn't be here (laughs) so uh yeah we're i think we got through at least as many questions as we can we're going a bit long here so this is probably a pretty good point to wrap so happy birthday us yay Yay. uh (laughs) if you'd like to get in touch if you enjoyed this kind of episode you know we always like your questions and i I do want to point out uh some questions that we got uh were more like entire show topic type of stuff so we've kind of squirreled those away for later but as always we love your questions so if you have any of those you can go to independence.fm or just shoot us an email at hello at independence.fm you can also find us being antisocial on Twitter occasionally. You can find me there as at parrots, the plural of the bird. I'm eat a duck, I must. And I am jelly bean soup. And thank you all for listening to us for a year. And uh, we'll talk to you again in two weeks.